SEO still brings in way more traffic than any other source by a mile because those other sources also aren't necessarily getting more organic reach either. SEO is one of the strongest assets your firm can invest in. If you look at YouTube, there's more ads, it's more competitive, it's harder to get your videos seen. On Twitter, organic reach is down, it's more busy, it's more loud, it's harder to get your message seen. If you just kind of check off every other possible channel, it comes back to SEO and email. And those are the two channels that just work really well. You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, where we give you the tools you need to take your personal injury practice to the next level. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Today, we take a look back at some of our biggest and most accomplished guests in SEO and share with you our favorite insights. In one of our first episodes, I caught up with Rand Fishkin, founder of SparkToro and author of Lost and Founder, and exposed on what really happens in the startup world and the harsh realities that can come with it. But you may recognize him as the former co-founder of Moz, a multi-million dollar a year marketing software business. Here's Rand on the 80-20 principles for SEO and what actions will have the biggest impact. I think if you are someone who's trying to figure out, you know, how do I rank number one for a keyword or a set of keywords in Google today, uh, my sense is that the classic ranking factors of, you know, I get more links with better anchor text than my competition, and I'm on a higher authority domain, and I am uh putting out more content and the, the content is well optimized with sort of keywords and related phrases, all that, all that kind of stuff. You will often find that you can get all of those factors right and still be beaten by someone who does three things that many SEOs who focus on the tactical technical details don't do. And that is number one, build a brand that people prefer, right? Like if I see your brand versus five other brands in the search results, which one do I trust the most? Which one am I most likely to think, I've heard of them, I know them, I like them, I trust them, I'm gonna click them, even if they're the fifth result instead of the first one. So I think that's that's one of the huge things, right? It, it sort of sucks that to be a great SEO, you sort of need to be a great brand builder, but that's the reality we're living in. Second, I think that um, solving the searcher's query in the way that gets the fewest number of people who do visit your page unsatisfied with their search result in any way is a huge win, right? And so historically, right, you, you could think of a simple example like this, Chris, I'm sure you've seen these all the time. Like remember five years ago, six years ago, seven years ago, when a lot of times in the search results, you'd see like a landing page that promised you the thing you wanted if you filled out some information. Right. Mm -hmm. Like yep. think of like webinar landing pages or white page, you know, a white page landing page. And they're like, great, especially in B2B, this was common, right? Like, okay, you want to get this unique data or our PDF download, fill out this stuff. And they tend, with, with a few exceptions, they tend not to rank so well anymore uh, because they don't immediately, instantly answer uh, the searcher's issue. And, and that is a cheat code. Like being able to solve the searcher's problem 
faster, better, more consistently, more, more um, comprehensively than anyone else, such that no one ever clicks the back button and chooses a different res Google result, huge. Third one, and this is, this is the secret tip. This is my like, if you wanna rank number one in Google, you don't have to do anything else but this. I'm serious. Be owned by the Alphabet Corporation. Right? Doesn't matter how crappy your results are. If you're owned by Alphabet, Google will rank you number one. It's like the old Wikipedia ranks number one for everything. Google ranks number one for everything. We could talk a long time about just intent in general. Yeah. I think even the placement of your information on the page is important. If you answer the intent first, I think one of the reasons, and this is just a theory, guys, we're, we're just talking here, that longer content ranks better is because it answers multiple versions of intent. So if the query is yes. shorter, then it could potentially have m multiple versions of intent. I think it's just correlation that oftentimes long form content or content that answers many questions means that people don't go back and look for something else because they didn't get their problem solved. If you can do that in a short form way, you probably do even better, but people struggle with that. I also think it's true that user experience and UI, right? Visual UI and UX, they create a trust sort of signal with your users, right? You land on something that looks like it's from 1998. Yeah, that looks a little sketchy. I'm gonna click the back button pretty quick here, my friends. It's got a bunch of ad overlays and like nasty pop-ups and stuff. I'm gonna click that back button. Oh, this looks clean. This looks trustworthy. It looks like something I've visited before. It has that sense of authority to it. I'm gonna trust it. I'm gonna stay on it. I'm gonna be more likely to share it, more likely to link to it, more likely to cite it. Nathan Gotch, founder of Gotch SEO, has helped over 3,000 clients double traffic and rank higher using his tried and true tactics. He shared with us the three highest value activities anyone could do to help their SEO. Content, UX, and links. If you can get those three things right, you're gonna be good. There are a lot of other things, especially, you know, like subcategories of each of those that need to be focused on. But when you look at it at a very high level, it always starts at content because if you don't have good content or you don't have good pages, and I refer to content as many different things. Like when people hear content, they think of blog posts. Well, when I say content, I'm referring to informational content on the blog. I'm referring to transactional pages. I'm referring to a comparison page. That's all content to me. Even, a, even an image is content to me. So yeah, I mean, that's the foundation of everything. So, and like when we start a new SEO campaign, that's my focus and my team's focus is 100% on getting that part right first. And once we get that foundation strong, which is, you know, optimizing existing assets, deleting a lot of content, redirecting content, which we talked about recently on the phone, but, right. um, but, you know, going through that process to build that strong foundation is so critical. Courtroom veteran and lifetime member of the Million Dollar and Multi-Million Dollar Advocates Forum, Matt Dolman uses SEO as the cornerstone of marketing for his firm, Dolman Law Group. Matt explains the importance of high impact and siloed content. Look at the top pages that are ranking and how can I do it better? I mean, that's, that's the first thing I look at. You know, there's so many fluff pieces on the internet, fluff practice pages, fluff blogs. If you really do a diligent job 
and, and do a deep dive into specific practice areas and build out what we call content silos. So, you know, your practice page and then have a lot of subtopics under that practice page. So for instance, you have a car accident practice page, then you have pages about Uber and Lyft. So ride share cases and then texting and driving and the dangers of so on and so forth. What is uninsured motorist coverage? What does it mean to have full insurance coverage? Who's paying for my medical bills after a car accident? If I don't have health insurance, what do I do? What is a letter of protection, which is not in every state, but is germane to Florida and several others? What is personal injury protection? I mean, these are all subtopics that link back to your practice page. And if you want to put the time into the blogs and make sure they're, they have to be in depth. I mean, they have to be over a thousand words like mine to be over 1500 words for the most part. Now we don't always follow that rule, but we do as much as possible. And uh, if you really put the time into the content, instead of just putting out a fluff piece and really work hard, and make sure you're externally linking out to other really good pages, Google will start to look at you. I mean, they use artificial intelligence and see you that you are a resource page, that you have really good information, and then you'll you'll start to rank. I mean, and the content all helps one another. It's very, again, symbiotic. I hate to keep using that word, but the common word today, Sesame Street's word of the day is symbiotic. It's all symbiotic. You'll start developing natural links. The pages all support one another, and your practice pages will start to rank, but also your individual blog pages will rank. I mean, we have one blog page that went to hire a car accident lawyer that ranks in the top five for at least 100 keywords nationally, like car accident lawyer, car accident attorney, accident lawyer, accident attorney, I mean, different permutations of that word. So that can be done through your blogs itself. When you blog often, I mean, it's the freshness factor. That's also Google looks at websites as to how often, and we, we go over this every day, Chris and I, I mean, this is what we, this is my life, and I don't expect most lawyers to care this much, but hopefully you will care a lot because this is your marketing. You know, it's the more often you're updating your website, the more often it's going to get crawled by Google. You're actually training Google to crawl your site more often. That works favorably for so many different reasons. I can't stress to you enough how often you should be putting content out there and educating the clients. And the content piece should not be about you. It should not be about my qualifications, how long I've been practicing law, recent verdicts. I mean, that's nice to add to your site and that's great. But how do I help you as a consumer? How do I help answer the questions that you have? How do I help solve the problems that you're probably worried about? You know, who's going to pay my medical bills? What do I walk away with? What does it mean to have a contingency fee contract? How's that level the playing field so that I can hire the best lawyers and not have to worry about coming out of pocket for that? I mean, you need to answer these questions, and that's a really good website is when you're answering the consumer's questions. Before we hired you, I mean, we were writing a lot of fluff pieces. It's a lot of crap. I mean, you, you got to also – another thing Chris's team worked on is uh, trimming out the fat. We got rid of a lot of pages that were low-performing. Um, that really weren't doing much for us. So it's a portfolio of key terms. And then we go back and how do we make that page much better? So then now we can all of a sudden, it's a lot easier to take a page that already works, but now doesn't work great or work, you know, it's not elite and make it to a lead page. Because it's already working. You already have links built to that page. It's clearly getting eyeballs. There's visitors to it. It has on-site metrics, but it's not in the top five for a specific search term or, or portfolio terms. Now we improve that page, add more content to it. Now Google's going to crawl it again. Now it's the freshness factor. It's getting updated regularly. You want to take your top pages and update them regularly. You hire Chris and somebody else, you're going to have them help you with content. That's important to keep putting out content. I can't stress that enough, but at the same point, you want to go back to the content that's already working. It's where everyone misses. You keep putting out more content. Go back to the ones that are already working or showing up anywhere and make them better because it's hard enough to get them to rank. They're already ranking. That's half the battle. If I can show my screen, I mean, proofs in the pudding, I can show you what I rank for. And it's, it's, there have at least 100 pages on my site that have at least a value of $5,000 in ARAS, yes. which means I'm ranking for a ton of terms. Four pages right now that, are, that exceed $150,000 in value. I mean, that's, it's, it is incredible. 
And the FCM Rush, we have four pages that exceed a million dollars. It's it's crazy. Founder of the Philadelphia firm, the Levin firm, Gabe Levin, has over a decade of experience and has obtained millions of dollars in compensation for his clients. He has this to say about on-site SEO. On-site SEO is fundamental. You're not even getting out of the gate if your on-site is not optimized, right? And when I say optimized, I'm talking about your title tags, your meta descriptions, all of the backend stuff that the consumer on the page might not actually see, but that you're feeding to Google to help them consume your content and understand what it is and where it should rank, right? And so that to me is the beginning point. And if, if you don't understand on-site SEO, you need to read about it and you need to figure it out because that's like your car isn't going to start if you don't have the key, right? But how well it runs after that is who knows, but you're not getting out of the garage without the key. And the on-site SEO is something that you just have to audit and you have to, you have to know how to audit it. You have to know how to look at the code and see if it's in there or if it's not in there and make sure you, you, you cross all your T's and dot all your I's. It has to be done or you're, you're not going to be successful. With a decade of custom link building under his belt, David Farkas, CEO of the Upper Ranks, helps businesses attract more customers and become more profitable. He dives deep into what makes a great backlink. I'd say that there are a number of different factors when you're trying to evaluate the quality of a link. Number one is, is that like the website that's linking to you. So that website, is that a credible website does that website have traffic? That's something which is pretty basic. You know, you want to make sure that the website has a pulse. And then I'd also look around that website. Does that website have any sort of editorial standards? And of course, you want high editorial standards. Or do they just let, let any so, sort of content on their site, even low quality? And then, of course, relevance is a major factor as well. So that's the first thing that I'd say is looking at the linking website that's linking to you. But I feel like these days, Google has gotten more advanced than that, and that's not enough. And they're looking at other things as well. So besides for the website that's linking to you, what are they linking to on your website? Are they linking to a great piece of content? Or are they just linking to like your services page or your money page or, or things of that nature? Because I feel that Google has come a long way and they're much more advanced and a lot better at recognizing what sort of content is actually link worthy and merits having someone link to it from their site. And that's why when you think about link building these days, you also really have to take into account like your on-site strategy and how you're gonna provide for your users meaningful content. So basically what I'm trying to say is that it's not just good enough to just look at it from an external point of view. You also have to look where the links are pointing on your site. So when the site that's linking to you is linking to a quality piece of content, then those two things like complement each other. And then that link has a lot more effectiveness. And the third thing that I'd probably look at when I'm thinking about what makes a link good is also looking at it from the perspective of the user. So if they're on this site and they're linking on that link that links to your site, are they going to be pleased when they end up on the other end of that link and on the other side on your site? Are you actually, again, are you providing something valuable or are you just trying to have some sort of a sales pitch and you were able to crank in a link and stuff one into this site? So those are more or less the three things that I look at. The most obvious is the linking website. 
then perhaps maybe less obvious is where are they linking to on your site? And then also, you know, from the user standpoint, you definitely don't want to let them down. You want to come through if you're, you know, if they trusted you and they're clicking on the link, you don't want to fail them and send them to someone's money page where you're trying to sell them a service. We did a study recently where we looked at 113,000 personal injury sites and we looked at the top directories like Fine Law. And what was interesting is it aligns completely with what you're saying. Fine Law itself has a whole bunch of links to the root domain and to their law pages and, and pages that have been sourced for the, by the media. But the actual directories themselves, those sales pages, don't have hardly any links at all, but yet they still rank really well. So it, it aligns with what you're saying in terms of yeah. relevancy. And Google is able to look at that website and they're able to categorize the site itself and they understand site structure much better. And they understand what money pages are and what sort of content you're creating as a means to provide meaningful and helpful and educational information. So they could take care of that on their own. You have to focus in on having a solid site and then building links to the pieces of content that actually merit having links, as opposed to just trying to shoehorn your links and get them to pages that really don't make any sense that someone would really want to link to. So definitely I see that Google is taking sort of the external SEO and the internal SEO, and they're kind of bridging the gap. And they're trying to see how these two things could connect even in a more essential way and where these two pieces of content are actually talking to each other and complementing each other, as opposed to, you know, it's just a one-sided thing and the external link is just pointing to you, but really it doesn't add up. Maria Monroy is an authority when it comes to SEO in the legal space. As co-founder of the legal marketing agency, LawRank, she helps lawyers reach the front page of Google. I caught up with Maria to discuss local SEO and the impact of relevance, distance, and prominence. Let's dive into the key factors Google looks at to determine relevance. So if somebody's searching for a personal injury lawyer, you're going to need to have content and the keywords on the site to show Google that you are what they're looking for, right? Do you think that law firms should consider, you know, a DBA changing their business entity name, their legal name to incorporate a keyword? Do you think it's that important? We do. And we definitely encourage our clients to do that. I'm going to be honest as well. So, but there is a right and a wrong way of doing it. And obviously it really depends on the firm. So there are firms that do other practice areas besides PI. And I mean, we could talk about a whole bunch of issues that that causes digitally, but we don't have to do that today. So, but yes, absolutely getting the DBA, getting the signage, even having some business cards. I think that's crucial to doing it the right way because otherwise you risk Google suspending the listing. One of the buzzwords when you talk about local SEO is proximity. How far the person searching Google is from the physical location. In fact, LawRank conducted a study to figure out how proximity affects your search rankings. I asked Maria about the results of that study and how that affects their approach. So after a one mile radius, which is 6.28 miles, the rankings drop off significantly. And there's not much that we can do about that. There are some exceptions in certain markets. This applies to PI more than any other industry because it's so competitive and there are so many PI firms. But after a one mile radius, you're, it's really hard to be in the local pack, right? And this just has to do with the algorithm. So 
oftentimes we've had firms that are like, well, but my office is so far from, you know, the center of the city. It's not the best location. That's not where I want my clients to come out of, but there's not much we can do after that one mile radius. So if any of you are listening and you're starting a new law firm, your lease is up, you're adding a location, really think about where you want your clients to come out of, right? Where do where does your ideal client live? Because you're really looking at a one mile radius from your office to be able to rank in the local pack. I'm not saying that just by going and getting an office there, you're going to rank. But if you have an agency that knows what they're doing and they can get you into the local pack, that's extremely lucrative. Let's talk about prominence, that third piece. You know, what does Google mean by prominence? What impacts prominence? Well, that's where we come in. I would argue relevance and prominence is where we come in, right? I mean, a a lot of what we do, and I'm sure it's the same for you when it comes to Google My Business and organic as well, is proprietary. But obviously, when we talk about being prominent, you know, links, media mentions, all that good stuff. Alex Valencia and his wife, Yvette, founders of We Do Web, know a thing or two about legal marketing. The duo and their team have spent over 100,000 hours honing their craft, content marketing. Alex shares his insight on the kind of content that will get results. I'm a big believer in your money pages and, and those are your practice area pages. I've been fortunate to work with a lot of SEOs and all their strategies pretty much align within the same idea of developing those pages that are specific, right? Well, I think it's your primary, secondary, and tertiary pages. Your primary is your personal injury page. Secondary, the car accident, Uber car accident, rear end car accident, hit by a butt, DUI accident during DUI, right? So you start secondary and then tertiary, and then also supporting that content with frequently asked questions. And eventually getting into a blogging strategy, like we're getting back into it. When we first started this, we, we would do a package. It was a page, an FAQ, and a blog post we talk about saturation, but it was easy because the writer already had the topic. So they would write a long form page. They would do a good FAQ size page to help support it. And then they would do a blog post that would hopefully drive traffic to, to both of those. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and one of the issues though, that I see you probably run into is you'll take on a client that, that is experienced, that has been doing SEO or content marketing. What do you do then? Do you look at the site map and try to deconstruct 2000 pages? Are you using competitive analysis tools in a situation where someone's not starting from scratch, where you're building out that whole editorial calendar from the foundation? Like, What do you do when you take on someone that's been working with an SEO agency? We built a tool as well, and alongside with other partners and the tools that are already out there, to do a gap analysis. So when we have someone that already has been generating content, there's always an upfront opportunity to fix what they have that's currently not working for them, right? Some people come to us and they're performing really well, but there's always some low hanging fruit that you can go after and revamp, redo, go out and see what their competitors are doing, right? Because it's such a competitive market that we're in. Someone might've been ranking for three years, four years, kicking butt, But all of a sudden you get this young law firm, close a couple cases. They're like, hey, I'm putting all my marketing money back in, putting all my profits back into marketing and going after an SEO strategy and get really aggressive. 
with a newer SEO agency, right? And they start developing content. Now you're competing, right? Now I was third, second position, now moved to five by this brand new law firm that just came in because their SEO strategy was just a little newer. Their content strategy was just a little fresher. So when you're developing 100 pages a month, 50 pages a month, it's important to always go back and see how the performance of that is. And that's why you know SEO is so important because you're keeping track of that. You're keeping track of the performance as opposed to let me create new content, let me fix the content that's already there because Google's already indexed that content. There's no point in you having to start from scratch when you already have a page that Google ranked. Maybe it's no longer on page one, but Google already liked it. The user already liked it. So what do I have to do to go in there and change that page? So there's always opportunity with a company that's already got tons of content to go in and revamp it, add images, add video, change some of the uh, headings. The meta description's huge. Like I'm a big meta description guy. That's how I choose. When I look for something, I look at meta descriptions because there's so many, not badly written, but uninformative meta descriptions, right? Why am I gonna click on this page if the meta description doesn't almost answer what I want? So it's important to tell Google and the user what your pages are out about in your meta description. And you'd be surprised how much that changes. The next bit of wisdom comes from a man who needs no introduction. Dubbed one of the top 10 marketers in the country by Forbes, Neil Patel has helped grow already massive companies from Amazon to Zappos. Neil gives us a forward look at the future of content teams. I think content teams are gonna have to be restructured. The big reason for that is content teams right now, all, most of them just create new content. Okay. And they'll crank out content, tons of it, and they go on to the next. What we have is we have a formula that we use for content that works really well. 40% of the time you write basic beginner content. If you think about what's being searched on Google, it's stuff like how to tie a tie, how to install a toilet, how to get more traffic to your website, how to get Google to index your site, how to get into Google. People type in a lot of those types of terms all day long, but that's the type of content that no one really wants to share on social media because it's not that amazing or unique. And no one really wants to link to because it's already been published a thousand times, if not a million times already. But you need to publish that content to get the search traffic because that's what people are searching for. 10% of the time we recommend posting advanced content, stuff that makes you seem, or not even seem, but makes you, shows people you are experts, stuff with stats, stuff with data. So for example, I may publish an article with my new blogging formula and how I blog and what percentage of time I'm spending on each and using stats and data to back it up and show results on what's happening in different industries and show why the other way doesn't generate links or back links and traffic and how this way generates better results in a shorter period of time. I'm making it up, but you get the point. Absolutely. And by doing that, that's the kind of content that generates more backlinks and social shares, but not too many people are typing in, you know, blogging formula, right? Like you're not going after a keyword or anything, but it boosts the overall authority of the site. 20% of the time you need to update your old content. And this is the big one. Most people and how they structure their content teams do wrong. If you look at your Google search console traffic and you compare year over year, so last 28 days, which is what they default to typically last 28 days, I believe, or is that YouTube? It's one of the last 30 days or 28 days over the previous year. And when you do that, what ends up happening is you can see which pages are actually declining in traffic. 
The ones that are declining in traffic, you need to click on them, see what keywords they rank for, search them, see who's ranking at the top or above you or is ranking for those terms. And you need to adjust what you're creating content on to be better than them. What are they doing that you're not including? What do they cover that you skimmed the surface on but didn't really go in depth on? What are you covering that they're not that makes you better? Are you covering anything that's outdated, right? All these will give you ideas on what you need to update with your content. So in that way, it's still fresh and relevant to people because there's over a billion blogs on the internet. With over a billion blogs, that's roughly one for every seven people. Do we really need more content blogs? No, but people still create them because it drives traffic. But why would you go and create something that is outdated and rank when you could bring them something that's more up-to-date and relevant? And then 30% of the time, I would go and market your content. You can't forget the marketing and content marketing. Are you emailing people you link out to, ask them for a share? Are you emailing people that link to your competition to ask the link to you? Are you hitting up people on Twitter who share your competitor content, ask them to share your content? When you follow that formula, you're going to do much better. And that's why I think content teams need to be structured around those percents, roughly. It varies. If you're a brand new website, you're not going to spend 20% of your time updating old content, but you get the point. That's what I would do if I was structuring a brand new content team. Brian Dean, founder of Backlinko and Exploding Topics, has nearly a decade providing SEO training and link building education. He shares with us his information he wishes would have been available to him when he was first starting out. We discuss his unique take on indexing and on-site SEO. We also get into what tactics he would recommend to an attorney looking for ways to encourage others to link back to their legal blogs and websites. Yeah, I mean, I have, I have experience. I used to run an agency myself and I had tons of attorney clients. And you're right, it's tough because no one wants to link to a DUI lawyer website. The content that is usually around those topics are usually pretty uninteresting. What to do if you get pulled over, drinking and driving. Like they're just not content that people generally link to. So what I've seen a lot of people have success with is creating data around these topics and having that be the link magnet. And from there, you boost your domain authority and your service pages will rank. Because like you said, Chris, those service pages, you it would be amazing if you could get people to link to them, but they're not. The same way with an e-commerce site. If you have a product page that sells a toaster, no one's going to link to that page ever. So just forget it. And just instead, build your domain authority, create pages that people will happily link to, they'll want to link to, and that'll boost all the pages on your site. So I think in the case of attorneys, it's in that whole space. I don't see this being done. And it's a huge untapped opportunity in the space because you got, they have tons of data. They have tons of smart people working in all these firms and they just, what they usually do is just hire some random freelance writer to write 10 things to know about hiring a DUI lawyer. It's not going to do anything. You got to create something that people will link to. And there's tons of interesting data around your actual niche, but also just in general. So if you're a patent attorney, how about writing? I would love to know this. How many patents are getting filed now versus 10 years ago and tracking over time? That's the type of thing people will link to happily. So yeah, I'd focus really on data. So instead of being a resource, be a source for other blogs, journalists. So they link to you when they reference, you know, the number of patents have increased by such and such, or the number of DOIs has decreased by, you know, 83% since the pandemic started, whatever. These, this data is sitting out there already. It's just a matter of collecting it and organizing it in an attractive way. Do you think that 
you know, ranking a very good resource page that maybe doesn't have intent, maybe it's that top of the funnel, middle of the funnel article can then pass authority to your sales pages. Do you think that is a, a really effective tactic or do you think that they really need just those direct links right to the sales pages? Oh no, that's a super effective tactic. You definitely don't need links to the sales pages. But like I said, in a perfect world, the links to the sales pages are better to be clear. If you can get those, get them all day long. The, the problem is practically no one will link to them. So you just have to do something else. That, that's where I'm coming from. And the good news is Google is focusing more on the trust and authority of the site than a page. So you're trending in the right direction if you're focused on getting a domain authority. Plus, whenever you, say you just you launch a new department, you're gonna, we're going to start doing M&As, for example, whatever. You have this domain authority and that page already has a good chance to rank on day one versus, oh, we only have a bunch of spammy links to our individual sales pages and we don't have anything to the site. So yeah, I'm a big fan. I've seen it happen in the legal niche, in other niches, e-commerce also, building the domain authority. It just, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. It works really well. And that's actually my focus for even Backlinko. Like most of the pages that have the most links at Backlinko aren't guides on how to do something. People do link to those occasionally. It's mostly data. It's industry studies we've done. It's stat pages, like you had mentioned, where we pull data from different places. That's where we get our links from. And that's where I'm even tripling down on now on getting more links using that strategy, just because it's working so well. And people happily link to that versus creating a guide or a blog post. It's like pulling teeth to get someone to link to that now. So the stat pages and data, it just works so well that, yeah, I would make that the focus if I was in that position. And your blog, you know, in some ways is anti to what SEO experts would recommend. You don't have breadcrumbs. You don't have these Bruce Clay type sidebars that were just all themed around this, you know, a certain location or category. Most of the navigation is internal linking. You know, why do you take this approach to internal linking and navigation? Is it more about controlling Google's narrative or is it because SEO is searched more like a library where you're accessing a phrase versus like a show. I just kind of wanted to hear some thoughts on in general about why you take the approach of more just contextual versus like the traditional menu or sidebars or categories. There's two reasons. The first is just conversions. You know, the more links you have on your site, the more stuff you have going on, your conversions go down. The best landing pages are just a page. So if you're an attorney and you want to get more leads, the first thing you should do is look at your landing pages, just strip out a bunch of crap and have a button that says contact us or contact right. us form. And you'll see your conversions double without doing anything else. So that's the main reason actually is that I've done plenty of tests and the more widgets and sidebars and stuff we add, the fewer conversions there are. People don't spend any longer on the site either because they don't click on that stuff. And I think that, yeah, there's a place for the sort of like categorizing your content and, and, and whatnot, but I think it's just Google is getting smarter and they need their handheld a little bit less. Like not to say there's no, there isn't a place for that now. Like I have hubs on my, on my site that are exactly what we're describing here, yeah. but th those are independent because that's really just for rankings. But I think in general, I don't think you need that to rank. Although if you can swing it, great. But it's mostly for, for conversions, but also just before I even created the hubs, all, I had tons of competitive keywords, pages ranking for competitive keywords without any of this stuff. And it kind of made me think, yeah, I, it probably helps a little bit, but you can do fine without it. So that's why I never really went into it. But now that I have these hubs, 
they rank super well. And I think part of it is they have this interlinking thing. I just haven't figured out a way to get marry the two, to have that working and also have the site convert really well, which is my number one priority. We close out this recap of incredible insights today with SEO savant and president here at Rankings, my boy, Stephen Willie. He gets into why site speed matters, the importance of site architecture, linking from multiple locations and base slugs. Core Web Vitals was developed via Lighthouse a few years ago for to establish, we've all heard fast site. Make sure you got a fast site. Now there was page speed insights, which kind of torque things down, kind of muddled things. And, and it wasn't necessarily, it was a good indication of a fast, quote unquote, fast site, but it didn't actually tell you what you were doing wrong to an extent. So where Core Vitals establishes a hard or static metric that can Google can actually measure against. Oh, the, uh, this takes too long to load. X, there's too much JavaScript here. The preload here, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so we actually can see what Google is taking a look at. Now, arguably, if I were to look in at Los Angeles right now, a lot of the, those guys for car accident lawyer, which is for the keyword car accident lawyer, a lot of those guys don't have the fastest sites. So there's ways to kind of overpower that, overpower that via, you know, what we'll get into later. Um, but I would say core vitals is make sure you have a, make sure you're not loading junk, right? Slim down your site, make Sliders. it load. Yeah. Anything that loads like that in the background that maybe the user isn't impacted by that, even if it's like a one second load, if, it do, if it's not caustic to the user, Google's still going to look at that. And so those metrics that they're, they're displaying, is not, is, you shouldn't ignore them. Hop into your Google search console. They have a page experience. They, they list all of your core vitals there. Um, that's what we look at. If something slows down, something gets a little red, something gets a little yellow, we immediately turn it green. So, and, and by doing that, there's all different types of plugins that you can use. If you've, if you've stripped your website down to the bare minimum and ripped out all the junk, but you can't get it any faster, there are plugins uh, called like Nitro Pack. Pegasus is a good one that you can install, do some configuration, and then it pops you up into, into what Google sees as a fast site. Building off of that, if your site is actually slow, specifically on mobile, those users are dropping, man. If you're looking something up, I have a bias, right? If, I, if I'm looking something up and something's taking like four or five seconds to load, I'm out because that tells me they don't care. You know what I mean? They don't, they, you know, they're not actively trying to improve. They're not actively trying to do anything. And if I'm thinking that, how much more is Google thinking that? Right. And then, so if you have your average user, they're not waiting that long. They're moving on. They're stressed out if they've just been on an accident. Do they want to wait six seconds for a phone number to load? No, they're going to the number two spot at that point. And that's Core Vitals. It's built into, OnStack kind of encompasses a very large aspect of things. We can talk about schema. We can talk about permalink structure. We can talk about equity flow, specifically from where links hit. I think let's talk about that next, is internal linking. Internal linking is, if you're not familiar with an internal link, I look at links as like doors. So if I'm walking down a hallway, and I'm reading your article, right? And we'll, uh, this is going to be a weird analogy. If I'm walking down a hallway and I see a door with the name on a car accident lawyer, I'm going to assume that behind that door, there's something about car accident lawyers, right? And so that's what a link is to me. So a link is, is a way for Google to walk down that hallway and see these doors that are labeled nice and clean for them. So they can contextually say, oh, you know what? There's car accident lawyer content behind here. And they can crawl into that. So what links is, or what internal links is, is also a way to spread link equity or 
kind of capture or curate how Google will crawl a site. So if I have a blog page and the blog page is in a T-bone accident, right? It's decent content and I have a few links on inter- incoming links to that, to that particular page, right? You use this example that links are like pipes as well, right? And I love that, I love that example. So through that page and I have a T-bone accident and if I don't have any internal links on that page, all of that equity from those links, all of the power or the link juice is holed up in that page. There's nowhere to go. It has header navs and, and things like that, but it doesn't have any contextual links. So within that T-bone accident, I'm now going to put drop an internal link that says like car somewhere or Philadelphia car somewhere or Atlanta car somewhere. And behind that, that's a door with a label on it. Yeah. And this is a major issue. And I, I, we're kind of getting in the weeds here, but this is a major issue when you have multiple cities and multiple states try to internally link car accident lawyer on Google's ranking the wrong page, say in New Orleans, when it should be ranking maybe a different page, maybe in Baton Rouge. It's because you don't have your architecture internally links sculpted properly. You don't have those doors going to the correct locations. So New yes. Orleans PI should link, you know, you talk about cars, should link to New Orleans car. It's, everything should be contextual, relevant, categorized. And For I don't sure. want to beat it with a, you know, we, we hit, we're hitting this over the head with a mallet, but this is what influences UX. Uh, it helps consumers answers intent. We got to hit title tags really quick before we move on the links. So title tag, best practices. Uh, let's talk about that. Put your base slug in there, what you want to rank for. So we'll use Philadelphia Car Accident Lawyer. And then a lot, you'll see the pipe or Philadelphia Car Accident Attorney. Then you'll see the pipe. And then nine times out of 10, there's going to be a branded X firm. Philadelphia Car Accident Lawyer, pipe, firm name. Don't do that. You're going to rank for your name anyway. So what we've been doing lately is putting um, empathy pools in. And what I mean by empathy pools is Philadelphia Car Accident Lawyer, we'll get you through this. Philadelphia Car Accident Lawyer, you're on our side. Philadelphia Car Accident Lawyer, we'll take care of you. We'll treat you like family. And so by dealing those sympathy pools, no, you're not going to rank for keywords like we'll treat you like family, right? But what that does, what that impacts is assume you are in the third position, right? And you're ranking Philadelphia Car Accident Lawyer. And then you have that title tag of we'll get you through this. And that's displaying in the results. If I'm a car accident, you have this, to be clear, you have this character amount that you can put within a title tag. Why take it up with your firm name if your firm name is going to rank for it anyway? You know what I mean? By using these empathy pools, um, it doesn't necessarily have an impact on organic rankings per se. But what it does do is if I'm, if I'm super stressed out, I was just in a car accident or one of my family was just in a car accident and I see blank car accident lawyer, firm name, blank car accident lawyer, firm name, blank car accident lawyer, we'll treat you like family. We'll get you through this. What am I clicking on? I'm clicking on that third result if I can see it. What that does is it impacts CTR. It's called click-through rate. It is the amount of impressions so uh, compared to the amount of clicks. So if you're getting a thousand impressions or I'm viewing your listing or your result within Google a thousand times, it is the ratio of how many times a user clicks on you compared to everyone else, right? Yep. And CTR is an indicator for Google for to, to increase you or to increase your visibility. And so by you have the ancillary benefit of more CTR, but that CTR feeds into that ranking factor, which is going to kick you up the pipe. Right. And so um, that's something that we've been doing a lot of lately. And we've, we've had 
crazy results. Another thing, and I'd be remiss, is within the legal field, dependent on your bar, stay away from superlatives. You can't say best. Dependent on what your bar regulation states. Some, some bars are totally fine right? Experts is, an, is another big one, right? Um, and so be very careful when you're talking about modifier or when, when you get into modifiers within keywords, because it can be, it can be a, little, a slippery slope depending on what you tag on. I'd like to say a huge thank you to all my guests who've came on and shared their wisdom with us. I hope you gained some valuable insights from today's special episode. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing.